Okay, hi, hello. I'm I'm Erika Grönberg and I live in Stockholm, Sweden. My name is Hayes Hawk. I'm in Los Angeles, California. Uh, doctors Professor Sudha Reddy uh, in India. Uh, my name is Elke. I'm a midwife in Anchorage, Alaska. My name is Hannah Freiwald. I'm originally German. I've been living in Guatemala for the last 31 years. My name is Hannah Darlin and I'm professor of midwifery at Western Sydney University in uh, the west part of, of Sydney, Australia. My name is Debbie Engelbrecht. I live in South Africa. I'm Cecilia Nakubra from Uganda, East of Africa. I'm a midwife for seven years. And I've been a midwife for 20 years. I first got into maternal child health in 96 when I was living in Chile. I'm living in Demoni, Israel, in the Hebrew Israelite community. And it's incredibly powerful to witness the birth of a child and the birth of the family and the birth of the individuals in the room. For me, it's the most wonderful, amazing, miraculous honor ever. Our job as midwives is to be Sherpas, not usurpers. For me, it's a sacred place, it's a secret place, it's a private place, and I have the honor of receiving these little babies. I'm, I'm in the business of watching universes being created. I mean, th there's no better job. Hello, and welcome back to Worldwide Midwifery. It's been a while. The world has changed. We took a break in this podcast as we all kind of readjusted to what was happening around the globe as the pandemic shaped healthcare and information. But we're back and we're so excited to be back. I had the opportunity over the last six months to speak with midwives all around the globe in a really informal way to ask them questions about how they are. Normally, the format of this podcast investigates a particular region, but every region in the world changed in 2020. So we got the chance to talk to midwives in a lot of places. So this episode is a way to acknowledge all that's changed for midwives around the globe, and also to investigate and share and drop into those worlds and how they've changed. So I asked the midwives of the world some very specific questions and we get a wide wide range of answers so welcome back we're really happy to be on the air again and in production again can't wait to share with you some of the next episodes that are coming out after this one focusing on regions again so we'll be in Tennessee and Atlanta and the U.S. and then we are also taking trips to Israel and South Africa and Uganda and uh, really excited to share with you the interviews that we had in Guatemala and Portugal and the list just goes on and on. So stay tuned. Um, at least every month we have a new episode from around the world. But this episode, we're going to travel to many, many regions speaking to many, many midwives about how the pandemic has changed their practice and how they're doing personally. So let's listen in. I asked midwives what barriers they faced in their specific part of the world due to the pandemic? One of the first um, challenges we had was really recognizing this pandemic and all of our authorities, whether it be our local or state municipality, understanding the importance of what we need to do, mm -hmm. and then also recognizing the role of the midwife, particularly considering maternity hospitals or labor and delivery, as most people know of them, and trying to figure out what our role could be there to help women, as well as alternative birth spaces, 
um, I don't know if everybody out there knows, there's only in the New York City area two, two birth centers. And currently the two birth centers are owned by physician-based practices. Yeah. And in New York, the entire state, we've been advocating for several years to have midwifery-led birth centers. And there's been a lot of um, uh, concerns about if midwives are able to run these centers um, adequately and if there's enough interest. Is, is there patient interest? Is there midwife yeah. interest? Is there safety? Yeah. So there's a lot of conversations that have been going on the last few years. Yeah. Um, even a little bit divided, to be honest, in the midwifery community to figure out where birth should be and where we should best help women, you know, yeah. and families out there. Several things. As far as the community goes, there's differing feelings towards uh, the virus. Some people are dismissive and others are high anxiety. And so as a birth worker, we have to balance both sides of that. And as a provider, we are communicating with the institutions that we're forced to, um, to work with, hospitals, clinics, and things. Our city right now is on essential business only. And so many people are having to uh, forego prenatal appointments or they're using telehealth uh, to do prenatals. Uh, we are monitoring kind of how the hospitals are limiting access right now. And so that's a big one. We, everyone kind of has their ear to the ground and are contacting hospitals about um, who's allowed in. Has it changed? Managing ourselves as far as what are the new protocols in place for COVID-19 as a provider, as a member of the community, and balancing all of those needs. Here, at least, I don't know how it is where you are, but the so the rule that the hospital have, you know, the measure that the hospital have taken is that you can only bring us one support person. And that person, once they go in, if they leave, they can't come back. So now that's something that I'm seeing, for example, because I what I'm doing is that, OK, if I can support you, find a doula. Even right. if this doula can't go inside to the hospital, at least she supports you there. Or, if, or then, like a conversation I had with another family, they are like, "We have three kids. I can't. Yeah. You know, my husband can't leave for three days. So this is a mom crying, and we're trying to figure out me giving her the questions. I'm like, talk to your doula. She's like, well, my doula says that she only can be there 18 hours, and I'm like, talk to her and see yeah. how you guys can make a plan so that if that your only support person see if she's willing and and how that will look like at the moment in specifically i can tell in in, in different in england is different uh so it's a whole uk yeah. they're doing different things uh, but mainly uh, i know some trust in in london i'm in contact with some colleagues in london they had to suspend the home birth service because they thought they could they haven't got the resources to provide it because a lot of people they, they think they will be off sick so or self-isolated so they don't think they will have the resource to sustain the home birth when i think of um what is the emotional resource or or the imposition of the most the the part of the emotional resources that are being impacted most by the um, c19 um, pandemic is probably fear and as we know yeah. Fear is permeates all of your your life structures, and yeah. if we were to say that that we were needing to 
make some sort of strides or attend to not only the fear that we have in ourselves and attending other being close to them, but also, of course, the fears that the mothers have or the birthing people have who are, who are afraid for themselves and perhaps for their baby. Situation in Spain at the moment, it's really, really bad for everyone. Um, especially, obviously, pregnant women who, I mean, they're changing the law constantly because of the rules. They say they have to give birth on their own. Then, obviously, they complain and then they say, okay, you're allowed to have someone, but not in the ward, but if the person coughs. And it depends on each hospital. There are hospitals where they're doing, and they call it a virtual skin to skin, which means they take the baby away and they put a tablet in front of the baby and give a tablet to the mother. And it's like, well, that's not a skin to skin. That's nothing. Just, just, it's just really? crazy. So it's, it's really, really bad. The home birth midwives, many of them are working, have a stopped attending home births and are have joined the hospitals and there's also in Spain you have to be a nurse to be a midwife so a lot of the midwives are actually being asked to go and work as nurses in the improvised hospitals that they've done and and they are actually accepting this which means women are completely being left we're having a lot of people call and inquire about home births now. About a week before this corona sort of hit Cape Town, we've been having, um, well, not a week, but the period, the last few weeks, all the obstetricians have withdrawn, the private obstetricians have withdrawn their report, their support from the independent midwives, from Basically, if I attend a woman in labor, our backup is going to be the state hospital, which nobody wants to go to. And especially now, nobody wants yeah. to go there. But there have been reports coming through on groups saying that uh, doctors are saying to their clients, sorry, you can't have um, an elective cesarean. Labor at home, come in, have your baby so we can get you out of here as soon as possible. Um, the other thing that's happened is no partners and no doulas and so no birth support. And I think that is scaring a lot of women into changing their mind and thinking about what they should be doing and different ways of birthing. One needs to get creative. But not all of the hospital doesn't let doula goes. We have some good hospitals that nowadays they are starting to let some doula come inside. But for example, uh, they are not uh, open for all kind of doula. Even for me, if I, they understand I am midwife, and even uh, even I want to go as a doula role, they don't let me because they think if midwife is comes inside, they give more information and support and support the woman. So woman like her. They will leave gynecological services and taste these doulas uh, to midwife services because they like midwife because midwife yeah. gives so much support psychologically, yeah. spiritual, spiritual. Yeah. But this is the thing that um, most of the gynecology sectors they don't like us to enter in their sectors. Seeing what's happening in Italy, I understand that 
you know, birth at the end of the day is a natural process. So obviously, maybe it's not in their priority now. They have to protect the rest of the population. But I feel for these women, and I also feel for the midwives because I can't imagine as a midwife mm. attending a birth in these conditions and um, being having having to be screened completely from the woman, not being able to touch, you know, to support. You know, midwives can be very physical in the way we yeah. support women as well. We are very present, holding the space for a woman in. Yeah in masks and gloves and glasses and, yeah. and all the protection yeah. it will be is so hard. I'm in the city of Los Angeles, which I, I think everybody is kind of calling uh, the, you know, kind of bomb zone of what is happening here. It's, it's really, it's been really, really tough to, to kind of keep up. I think a lot of people are are operating in fear because it's kind of scary the idea that you go to work and you know you can die or you can bring things home to your children or your family and nobody seems to really know about you know how this is all working how have midwifery practices changed so the model of care here in canada is at least in my practice every practice differs a little bit so i'm on calls 24 7 so i started on call this monday until next monday uh, in my practice, we work in a team of two or three, depending. So we are three teams in my, in my clinic. So I work in partnership with another midwife. And so we share the caseload. So one of us can have a week off. But that week that I'm, we are off, we are doing clinic. So for example, I'm on call right now, but my partner is doing clinic work. But because of social distancing, she's doing virtual uh, calls Monday and Tuesday. And then people that need to be need to be seen we're seeing them one day a week each team of midwife chooses one day of the week that is with the intention to avoid having people in the waiting room and to decrease the um, social interaction people that come into the clinic they wait in the car and then we call them and let them know when they can come in yeah and then for home births uh, we always have to midwife at each home birth and then we are also screening some people over the phone before a home birth just to make sure that there is nobody like with COVID-19 symptoms or so. The general feeling is a mixed bag of lollies, bitter, sour, sweet and yay! So put it into different groups. There is midwives that have adjusted well. I think I can put my hand up for that because instantly just a couple of days after things started to happen, I put my business online live and reacted to that. But I, like everyone, I have a far less, I'm far less busy as I was before. Now what's yeah. going up is the group of home birth midwives. They uh, created a group where they do like an emergency meetings for, okay, this woman now wants a home birth and uh, who can take care of her. So, you know, that is rising. Then I have to say some of my colleagues are in shock and cannot adjust themselves to be a digital midwife. They will still see uh, women and maybe they do some more phone calls than they did before. But I think it's different groups. I have to say uh, some of my colleagues I can understand are still in total shock. What am I supposed to do? And, you know, I think it is a process that, you know, and that's judgmental free because people are just different. 
Yeah. And people have to adjust their whole life because suddenly the kids are not in school. There's a lot of things, you know, connected to that. Like kids are in school, not in school. Children cannot go to kindergarten. So, yeah, I have to say in general, the amount of visits we do definitely has gone down. Some of our pregnant ladies are so scared that they don't even return calls or just don't want any visits because in Germany, we usually see the women that we have in our care fairly frequent. Yeah. And just for the information or to give you this insight, in Germany, the medical insurance will pay visits by the midwife after the birth, which yeah. is if you have a home birth or if you go straight away after the birth, the midwife could come twice per day in the first 10 days yeah. and can do another 16 visits to the, the period of uh, after 10 days up until 12 weeks after the birth. But you see, so this is what we could offer. But at this point in time, I have to say, I, I, I do the same. I tell my clients, look, we'll do what, what needs to be done, fairly much minimum. And when I go, I keep, uh, okay, in the beginning, I wear a mask and I wear gloves, you yeah. know, to check the cord and everything and to check everything. Uh, but then day by day, once things are rolling, I'm going to go a bit more distance and let mom do the handling. I am from Puerto Rico, and I spent the last 12 years in Los Angeles, California, and then the last two in St. Petersburg, Florida. That is a city right next to Tampa. So I will say... Um, that I'm getting calls or, or email requests or people writing on Instagram almost every day. Really? Yeah. And in my case, at least in my case, it's frust a little bit frustrating. Like I say, sometimes frustrating, sometimes no, because I knew, for example, I'm a, I'm a community midwife, so I have a solo yeah. practice. And I'm yeah. also a mom of two children. So for me, right, for to have a right balance in my life, yeah. I already, before I opened my practice, I decided I'm only going to see two home birth families a month, maybe three, when yeah. you have all, but usually you're not going to receive all this amount of calls, right? You and can keep it low, or there's other midwives to take them. It doesn't make you feel bad, right? Exactly. But, but, but now it's different. <laughs> yeah, now it's different. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that changed. So I'm receiving calls from you know, like, and then that's one thing. The other thing is a lot of late transfers, you know, people yeah. that are 36, 37, 40, 41 weeks. Mm -hmm. I had a mom that called me and her due date was in three days. And then something that I'm seeing a lot of it is that, let's say the partner, the mom, make the phone call. You're talking to her. She's worried. She cried. She's like, I don't want this. I'm committed to this. They go to the yeah. process and then the partner says, no. I do not feel comfortable oh. and that I'm seeing a lot and it's oh. very emotional and it's very hard because, you know, we are in a situation as midwives, we believe that is every person's choice to choose the location of their birth. So I'm here, but I can't convince anyone. I can only sit and answer questions. I can't convince anyone. Yes, we have changed our protocols in a, in a number of ways. When our families are still pregnant, what we would do is um, have uh, more televisits. We've written a new protocol where they would have televisits every trimester. And then at 37 weeks, they would have um, weekly visits until they deliver. And 
when they have these visits in between, like you would do four weeks or something like that, it would be televisits. So we are using two different apps to either if, talk to the patient with a video, or if not, because some of our families don't have access to that, a normal phone conversation, you know, to, to still meet the needs. And in between our, thank goodness our EMR has a patient portal where they can call the office and have questions answered. So that's what we're doing while they're still pregnant. We're also encouraging people to stay in their car, to call us when they're closer, taking temperatures when they arrive. And basically when they do come in for an in-person visit, then we're just listening to the heartbeat and basically taking whatever labs need to happen and um, bundle height and kind of getting them in and out within probably five, 10 minutes. And then again, calling them for any follow-up and rescheduling of appointments and not letting them sort of stay in our office space. Um, because, you know, the longer you're around somebody or closer you're with them, more likely we can maybe transmit this virus. Yeah. And when they're in labor, they would come with their labor support person. We asked that they bring additional garments so that they can change out of whatever clothing that they're in. Of course, take temperatures. Of course, ask all the signs and symptoms. Um, if anybody does have any temperature, of which we do take, then they're asked to leave. We're taking temperatures every 12 hours on any person supporting them. We are wearing masks ourselves. Um, our owner, Dr. Verdiano, uh, managed to, I don't know how, she worked a miracle to get some for us because you know there are short supply in New York and it's hard to get even if you have cash. They're all back ordered or there's other people sort of price gouging or whatever is happening. Who knows what's, what's going on with this? Yeah, but you got some. Um, yeah, we do, and we're offering them. We actually had a handful of our volunteers, about two, um, agree to actually sew us um, mm -hmm. face masks. Um, so we can use that. They're not, you know, in nines, um, but we can also use that because some people do find that the in nine is hard to breathe through. Um, and if they use that, then they'll place a surgical mask under, and it's still a good barrier. Um, but, you know, in nine is, you know, we all know where yeah. we're at with that. Yeah, yeah. So. So I just received today an email from my manager saying that they are putting in, so they're changing the way we do antenatal care now. So um, pregnant have been advised to uh, limit the content. We are not on lockdown in England yet. So people are still allowed okay. to go out, although uh, elderly and pregnant women, they are advised to stay home as much as they can. And just essential okay. appointments. So antenatal care is considered essential appointments. Okay. We do have uh, two plans in place. We have a plan A and a plan B. <laughs> the plan B, we don't know when it's going to happen, but the plan A will happen from, yeah, I think next week. And basically we're going to try to do some uh, phone consultation general informations like healthy you know lifestyle all these kind yeah. of things that can be done at the phone and we will start to follow yeah. them uh, obviously we will have to see them for the bloods and the dating scan uh, i know that we'll right. shift from the combined test to the quadruple test because we're going to do it at 16 weeks okay. so they're going to have okay. once and uh, and then from when we have to start to measure the fundal height we're going to start to see them more often and then the last trimester, obviously, they will be seen face-to-face -face each appointment. That will, is not going to, be, um, to monitor the blood pressure. But I think we're not going to see. Yeah, the some appointment will be missed. So they will have less appointments. It will yeah. be followed by us over the phone. And if it's necessary, I think we might be able to see them at home, I guess. And then they will have to be responsible, obviously, not to come to the appointments in the clinic if they don't feel them don't feel well 
Uh, but yeah, it's a big change. It's a huge yeah. change. And then there's this plan B, which is even less face-to-face, but I really hope we're not going to go to that. Currently live in Vancouver, British Columbia. Right. So from so the practice that I work at is called Pomegranate Community Midwives, and we okay. have um, changed a lot of our protocols on what we're doing. Previously, we'd have 45-minute appointments with everyone in person. It gives us lots of time to talk about informed choice discussions, options for labor, birth, you know, having a baby. Um, And that's really changed. So we're doing five to 10 minute in-person appointments and the rest of the appointment is virtual. And then second to that is the scheduling of visits. So we used to see people every five weeks and then every three weeks as they get closer and then every week. And now we've adopted the World Health Organization's prenatal schedule, which is eight visits which is different from our usual like 12 to 14 in pregnancy. And then we're doing home visits uh, in the postpartum. We used to do the first, you know, one to two weeks all at home. And then the rest, you know, the the last last four weeks we're back in the clinic. And now we're just doing all at home, except for the very last visit. I was a newly qualified midwife. This was in 2002. And I was looking after a woman who was in the high dependency unit because she was HIV positive. I was looking after her, she was 34 weeks and she was there because she had uh, threatened preterm labor so they had put them in all the drugs to stop her from going into labor. I was looking after her the evening of the um, New Year's Eve and then I went back again on New Year's Day in the morning I was looking after the, 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 the same people. And when I went to see this woman, she, had, she was in pain. I went to check what was happening and but the baby had died during that time since I saw her last and during the night. So the protocol then for HIV positive mums was a cesarean section. So we didn't have a protocol for vaginal delivery with an HIV mom. So, but obviously as the baby was dead, they were not going to section her. So I looked after this woman. They dressed me up as as we can see it now, but for me it was something that was really, really hard because I could see she couldn't, see me i had the mask the goggles the path the gown and she was on a morphine drip so that she was a little bit off what was happening and what comes back to me the most is the image this woman had of like such a difficult sad painful situation and the person who is you can't see their face you can see their I don't know, there's a smile there. You cannot comfort her that way. And now this is happening to almost everyone. And for me, it's like out of my career has been like the, the hardest moment. And it's not because he was a dead baby. It was because I was covered all over. Because when I've looked after families with a 
with a stillborn, it's it's different. You 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 can communicate. You 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 can see their face. You can hold their hand. You can I don't know give them a hug and cry with them. And that was the main reason why it was so difficult because it I was strips, stressed. It it strips your humanity. Totally, totally. You know, everybody where I live is starting to make their own hand sanitizer and and kind of go back to basics and. And look at their disposables and look at just the practicalities around being in people's houses. Um, so obviously we're asking, is everybody well? And it is going to get to a point where we're looking after unwell people. And at that point, and we've really only started talking about it in the last couple of days, what do we do? Are we prepared to do it? What do you, you know, are you, you know, is this baby being born? And the first thing they see is a mask. And a person in a zoot suit. I don't even know what they're called. <laughs> I call them a zoot suit. A white hands out or something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what kind of trauma is that going to lead to with these babies in 20 years' time? That's the first thing they see. I can't even, I don't even have the brain capacity to deal with that right now. But yeah, it's protecting yeah. yourself. So, you know, do you take lab coat? Do you wear. Yeah. an outfit over the top of your outfit do you take a change of clothes do you how do you protect yourself yeah. in this situation when you're not in a facility that has hand sanitizer on the end of every single cabinet and so forth yeah. we have um pathways in australia so we have consulting guidelines and we have categories so unfortunately women are categorized into a b and c so a is a green light b is an orange light so to consult and C is, you know, a big red sign, which, you know, sometimes they also can be con about consulting. And they're pretty strict. Here in Oaxaca, Mexico, everybody says hello with a kiss and, and shaking hands, mm -hmm. you know, the kiss on the cheek. And so that was one of the first things we, we put out a communication to all of our families and said, you know, don't be offended <laughs> if we don't hug you and kiss you when you come in. Um, it's just we need to start taking these measures to protect us, and we want to make sure that we're protecting y'all. I was inspired by the doctors and nurses that go to work, and I feel like maybe everybody isn't called to do that right now, to kind of work through this pandemic, and that's totally okay. Everybody has to do, you know, what they have a piece in their heart about. This is like a time for us to hold on to our faith, whatever faith that is that people have. And, you know, all faith is, is a little more fearless and more, there's peace that comes with faith. And, and so I think that, you know, it's really a time where we just have to grab hold of that. Otherwise fear will just get the best of us. And, and it's difficult because we're givers, you know, we are the givers, we are the mamas, you know, I'm, I've been called a mom wife by many of my mamas. And so how do we, bring to the table that peace that that the mamas need we can't really fake it I also really wanted to know about the midwives themselves so I asked them how are you taking care of yourself uh, that's a good question I'm very fortunate to have a very supportive family I cannot imagine doing this without my the support of my husband because I have a toddler as well we're trying to take it one day at a time and I am very fortunate to have very kind colleagues as well. And we are always checking on each other, making sure that we're okay. Of course, as any other family, right? We have our own, our own ups and downs in terms of like, if someone is sick, we have to just 
rush into things that are just not working and so on. But generally speaking, we are very supportive practice. And that actually makes a huge difference because we all know each other without even talking. We can just see if someone needs some extra help. And then, so we're trying to, yeah, to help each other that way. I am a determined fighter in general. So despite what challenges present themselves, I will overcome them. Now that does mean that I'm tired but I'm committed to serving my community in whatever way I can and making that accessible to them. So one of the um, things that I'm proud to be a part of is that there's a push to create platforms for virtual doulas. And one of those is through Milestones Midwifery, which is run by Cheryl Gates of Casey Holmberg. She has a website where doulas who are volunteering to be virtual doulas can uh, make themselves accessible to anyone in a hospital, really anywhere who needs support at the push of a button. And so that's virtualdoulas.org. And I'm interested in creating a similar platform that focuses on Black women and providing that culturally matched care. You know, I, I think what helps me personally is believing in a higher being. And I am doing exactly, you know, what, what, whatever the precautions are that we need to be taken that the medical, medical community is, is telling us, we're going to do that. And then we just got to leave those little details that we just can't possibly control everything. We got to leave those to that higher being and say, you know, we're here trying to serve others and we'll let you take care of all those little gaps that are in the way, so. Well, first of all, I try to like limit my time, the time I spend on social media, reading about disasters, because it's a constant, it's negativity, and is we have to be realistic, obviously, I'm not on denial, in denial, but I feel I don't need more information. I can, if I dedicate like, let's say, half an hour a day to the coronavirus situation that's enough for me to gather the information I need for the day and then I can make space on my day for other things like taking care of myself because I think as we are uh, birth keepers we need to look after people but to be able to look after people we have to look after ourselves as well. I'm very busy with my online training. We have many online training going on for our midwife from different countries. And I'm doing remote management. My company, it actually, it was supposed I traveled, last month I traveled to Iran and to Georgia uh, for uh, my business, carrying my business. But because of this uh, Corona, I'm managing everything through online. It is so lovely. I have online meeting. I have online training, online conference. This was good rest for us. I really wanted to understand the pandemic response's effect on socioeconomic and disadvantaged peoples around the world and specifically how racial inequities or difficulties that they were facing and how they were addressing those. The access to home birth for women of color and black women in Kansas City is pretty limited. We don't have a black midwife in our community yet. There are several of us who are training right now, but we don't have a certified midwife yet. We're trying to educate the community on the options available to them, but it's, it's, it's a different climate. There are so many people here that live hand, that live hand to mouth. 
And so I think that, you know, you see all these people like saying like, don't open the borders, don't, don't, don't let these people like, we need to stay in our houses. But then you also see the people that, you know, yesterday was our day to go out and buy groceries. And I would say there was probably a quarter of the amount of people that you usually see on the streets buying groceries because you know what, they don't have money to buy groceries. And so that is really unsettling to know that, you know, the people that sold empanadas in the street or the people that sold, you know, you know, coconuts or, or, or whatever it was that they brought that money home and that was what they used for the next day. They have, they don't have that opportunity. And, you know, I know that people are trying to, different governments are trying to help and send money, but, you know, here in, in, in the United, or here in Ecuador, they're, I think that they were giving out like 50 or $60. It was like a one-time thing, which, I mean, there are people that make $50 a month. And, and I think that that would help any amount of money is helping. However, like you said, what, what's the, <laughs> the end game here, you know, because I think, unfortunately, I don't know. And I think, you know, our family is here. We're, we're on our property in, in Ecuador, but our property is completely undeveloped. It was just a piece of property. Uh, we, we didn't have electricity. We didn't have water. We didn't have, and luckily we have our RV that we traveled down here with. Um, and so we've been lucky. My husband is, is um, very, um, I can't think of the word in English. Uh, we, he's, <laughs> he's, he can do a lot of things. And so I, I'm basically married to MacGyver. And so he's, yeah. He's been able to fix a lot of things, you know, in the interim, and that's great. But I think about all the people that already, they, this is temporary for me, you know. But what about the people that never have electricity and don't have running water ever, you know. And that is, is it makes me question, you know. And, and the people that say, like, I don't want to leave my house yet. It's not safe. Yeah. It's because they're not worried. They don't have food instability or, you know, there's not 10 people in in a small one room house or, or whatever it is. And so I think it's very easily for us to say, yeah, we all should say it should stay inside, but that's those of us who, who don't have to worry about what we're gonna eat for our next meal. Yeah, I'd like to, um, as I was thinking about this, Augustine, I, I really, I struggle a little bit with this idea of a low resource setting because we have in our, in our mind's eye this idea that there are a group of people who are in a, uh, a birthing story is unfolding and certain things are not available to affect the best outcome. Okay, so, so that's sort of, I guess, the premise. But, but maybe if we reframe that just a little bit and we think about and we, we kind of turn it around a little and say, if we were to look specifically at and, and, and embrace the power of certain assets, I'm not sure that even Sierra Leone would be considered a low resource setting. Right. So it's the idea that there are all different kinds of ways to be poor, mm -hmm. right? We can be poor in spirit, we can be poor emotionally, and we can be physically, you know, bereft. Uh, so what I was thinking about was this idea that if you, if you take your, um, if you look at the resources as very, very holistically, in the holistic sense, if there's kind of the trinity of holistic care, and that's going to be the physical self, the emotional self, and the spiritual self. And if we look at each of those individually, even from a birthing perspective, I would be hard-pressed to say that folks in Sierra Leone are in a spiritually low resource setting. I would be very hard-pressed to say that 
the people that I know in Sierra Leone, like we're just using them as as an example, would be a have a, a low um, low emotional or community support resources. I would say no, that's not necessarily that's not the case. And then even when you look at the physical resources that are required for most normal physiologic birth, when when the complications don't come up, and we know that those are what nine to nine point five out of every ten births then I would even say then the Sierra Leonean folks or people that we might consider in low-resource settings actually have generally the tools that, that they need to, to attend a woman. And the woman has the tools that she needs to attend herself. The birther's wisdom, your wisdom, the babe's wisdom are powerful allies. And when combined with the physical, emotional, spiritual health and guidance, and just a few choice tools needed, to help this dyad navigate the shift in their relationship, how can we call that birth a low-resource setting birth? In Spain, we're still very far back in respecting human rights, especially women's uh, rights when they're pregnant. And they are taken away from them. Even the law protects us, but it doesn't happen. A doctor is an authority that nobody questions their knowledge. And if you do question it, then you get in trouble. And very, I mean, there's been several cases where the woman does not accept what the doctor is saying. And the doctor calls the judge and the judge without talking to the woman to they just say like, yes, you can falsely take this woman into hospital, falsely do an induction to her, falsely. And, and then the society just says like, well, if a judge said so, then obviously that was right. Or if a doctor said so, then who is she to say no? It's like, well, the owner of the body where things are happening. Um, so there's a very great difference in South Africa between, well, races, but between poor and middle class, let's say, um, that we call the poor areas the townships. It's, it's basically only people of color that live there, black people. In the township areas, you know, people live in shacks. So there might be a mother and a father and three kids that live in some like a really you know the bedroom there's only the only the only two rooms there's a living room and a bedroom okay and a bathroom so i think the kitchen is part of the living room um usually or they only live in one room and they don't have a bathroom attached to their house they have to walk a kilometer or half a kilometer or whatever to go to the bathroom so for them it's really difficult most of the day, these people live outside. They have they have chairs and they have little, not umbrellas, but like awnings of a sort. And everybody's outside. The life of the town is outside. Um, now to be cooped up in, in a one or two bedroom place, I think must be terrible. And they're actually just not doing it. They're walking around. The kids are playing in the park, running around, playing. People are chatting. Um, having barbecues. I think 
a lot of them don't actually realize the the severity of the of the virus they, they don't realize how severe it is and how contagious it is um, many of them have got uh, multiple other illnesses like um, HIV and T and t t tuberculosis together so any one of these people they, their immune systems are extremely compromised so I think our government is actually trying to have this lockdown more to protect people like that and the elderly of course but I mean if if this corona gets into some of these townships we we might not have a township left uh, 60 percent of india population what i found through this uh, new rate they are in poverty and they are living in a rural area so those people are not even educated or privileged to understand the benefit of social uh, distancing it's very difficult to teach them, but I think uh, India government knew, knows how to behave with them. Because for me, even when I was going for a small village tour for training and, and uh, visiting mothers, I could not manage those populations. Even for a small time, for two, three hours, I was spending time there. But I think India army or security, they know how to manage people here. Or maybe they have some um i don't know how they have some techniques <laughs> to manage these people it's really difficult i'm in los angeles i have a very diverse population very yeah. diverse it's difficult with students some of them come from environments that they can't even possibly imagine what it's like to get into the heart of these people you know but we need to be people we need to be yeah. people we need to love people where they're at and we need to shut up sometimes and that's what i tell the students like just shut up you know, I have some people who are really afraid of white people. They don't feel comfortable about white people. And I have white students. So I say to the, to the students, like, you are the white person, the right white person who's going to teach this person what you represent is an awesome, loving person that accepts them and that color is not where hate comes from, right? Mm -hmm. You are the, I had a, a Muslim and an Orthodox Jew in the waiting room at the same time waiting because neither of them could go in and see their, you know, their, their wives birthing. Um, I think that, you know, we are the ones who are giving the opportunity for people to love each other. This is such an important time for us to love people and help them feel trusted. And I say that to my students. Like I have, I had one that was, was much, much older and she looked white, but she's actually Puerto Rican. And so when women would come in to talk to her, and she was also a teacher. She taught uh, physiology and anatomy before this. And she was like a, a medical tech and all this other stuff. So she had really had this kind of powerful sense about her, which makes some people feel safe, but other people, they shut up and they're like, whatever you yeah. say, you know? And I said, look, yeah. you know what your challenge is? Your challenge is coming back down, come down, talk to someone where they're at, love them where they're at and ask them to make the decision. You need to like, you need to see yeah. in yourself that if you want to serve a different, if you want to go serve people like you, privileged, you know, whatever, educated, then this isn't the right practice. But if you want to serve everybody because everybody needs help, then we all have to adjust and we have to like drop our, our we need to be prideless people and we need to love these women where they're coming from. And I think that it is the heart. I think that is the heart of the midwife. The heart of the midwife is to love everybody where they're at. I asked the midwives of the world if they had any tips for other midwives, and this is what they reported. Don't forget about the most vulnerable populations in all of this. Um, I think that we have an inherent push and drive to 
protect our own and when we feel like our rights, our fundamental human rights are being violated or restricted in some way, we tend to rally around ourselves and that's understandable. But just don't forget those who don't have the same ability to rally. Midwifery is universal. Labor, birth, motherhood, parenthood is universal. And COVID-19 and SARS-CoV-2 right now is pretty global and universal as well. Just remember those who are more vulnerable than yourselves. Remember those who could use a little extra support and try to think from that universal perspective instead of such an in-group perspective. Here is Jutta's best tip because, okay. okay, here's the thing. I meet a lot of people that, that go, me, 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 the virus. And I'm like this. And I always go, mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then people say to me, Jutta, how come you are so positive? Well, yes. okay. One thing is, let me go back to the virus is the virus. When you go, when you get yourself into bad weather, you are in bad weather, right? Uh, you can complain about the bad weather all day long. It's not going to change the weather. So what you have to change is always your attitude. Now, let me say it's normal that you have a bit of up and downs. But first thing is, I really practice this. In the morning, when I wake up, I tell myself a few things that I think that are wonderful. The sun is shining, the birds are tweeting. Or I remember last night when I looked out of the window, I saw some stars, something you hardly ever see in the city. Good. Yeah. Then uh, you can have your little diary where you write down three things that you think that you are grateful for. And I think three things that you really are grateful for can be really simple things. And I tell myself in the morning, ah, it's great. I can stretch. Ah, it's wonderful. I'm going to give an interview. Ah, it's great. I'm going to give a course. Wonderful. The sun is shining. I feel good. And then during the day, instead of focusing on the things that are not good or that are bad, you should focus on the things that are great. And some days can be just wonderful. Like, yeah. uh, you know, like the birth this woman had yesterday. I think that was, yay, a real, you know, highlight. Then I've been running a, a, a class. People were so happy and told me then, sent yeah. me emails saying, you're tired, such a great sleep. And, you know, yeah. even when, when I see a beautiful, like I saw a big tree with pink blossoms, it looked so rich and in color. I thought, ah, oh, look how beautiful that is. So these things are the things how you change your mindset. A mis amigos en Perú y a mis colegas en Perú, uh, les mando un abrazo muy fuerte y quiero decirles que todo el mundo estamos viviendo esta crisis de una manera muy distinta. Pero quería decirles de que mi corazón y, y mi mente siempre está en Perú y con mis colegas. Y vamos a salir de esto demostrando que las midwives en todas partes del mundo o las obstetras, parteras, matronas en el mundo somos una parte importante en la cadena de salud. I would just start with the hand washing and maybe even just wearing the mask. Yeah. Um, we have bought um, literally these white suits. I don't know what you officially call it. I would refer to it as a painter's outfit. And, and, it, and it's, it's a little cold and callous considering that most of us midwives want to be close to our patients. We want to touch them. Yeah. We believe in havening and yeah. softening. But we also have to be protective. Um, and I like how my midwife friends have said that if we are not whole, then how can we be whole for others? So we have to first start with 
um, making sure we're healthy. Yeah. Um, I would definitely say to start going to some of your agencies that you work with, whether it's your local chapter, your national agency. I'm quite sure their website has developed tools. Um, in New York, to be honest, I've had people even outside of midwifery, some um, social workers that we are connected with, send us links to different articles so we can stay on, on top of what's going on. Just sort of be connected in social media because people are telling you a lot out there. Yeah. Or, you know, nowadays, really Google, you yeah. know, you can start by reading that. I am surprised at some misinformation that's out there, how, you know, people are thinking that we can still use a little bit of alternative remedies. Don't get me wrong. We can definitely use some herbal stuff to boost our immune system, but that shouldn't be our first line of, you know, dealing with um, such a communicable disease. I am a proponent of boosting our own immunity and getting ourselves ready. But yeah, when we're talking sure. about this, it, you, we need to be a little bit more based in science and understanding yeah. the transmission and how we really need to, need to treat those symptoms, which sometimes certain herbal things can be. But we can't just say, you know, we take one pill and we're not going to get covert. You know, like yeah. vitamin C, it's, it's not going to stop covert. It'll help build you up. So if yeah. you do um, succumb to it, but it's not a, yeah. you know, an immunity to, to never get it. What? has worked for me and what has been really helpful is the support of my colleagues. So we at Pomegranate are usually three teams and we've kind of notified our clients that we're kind of forming into one big team and that's to help reduce the amount of people that need to be out uh, working. And so if I'm at the hospital, um, so, you know, we work at a couple different hospitals. So if I'm at one of the hospitals doing a birth and then someone else comes in, you know, maybe an early labor needs an assessment, uh, then I'll do that for them. So then my right. colleagues have to come in. And so we're all kind of brainstorming as a, you know, midwifery department, um, as a profession in this city, what can we do to call on each other to help so we're not um, exposing each other. And so we need to rely on each other in order to keep keep midwifery going and keep our clients being cared for because like I said, babies wait for nobody. And so, yeah. you know, that's been a really amazing uh, and progressive plan that the midwives in my community have worked together to form. What you're going through right now and the effort that you are making and reaching out and showing love to people that's planting seeds to, to mankind right now that really need to have hope. And, and I encourage you to keep doing that. Just know that there is a higher being that is taking care of all those little details that if we start thinking about all the things that could go wrong, it, can, it just overwhelms us. Just knowing that uh, we just got to keep loving people. I did want to just throw out there to all the midwives, virtual tours that discuss all of the selling points, you know, why we do what we do, what the difference is, whatever you need to throw in about the pandemic. And then a birthing class, if they do a birthing class online so that the clients can see your style and know what to expect. And if they're sold on all of that and it's a good fit, then they call you. So I gotcha. tell all of them, do that. That's the first thing, because all their questions are going to be answered. You know, watch my tour yeah. on my Facebook page. They're going to be, it's going to be answered. You You're can't welcome. spend time with everybody who's afraid right now. It's not you our can. job to spend time with everyone who's afraid. We need to reserve ourselves for the people who are supposed to be with us. 
because the other ones, it's not going to work. We have to find out. We want to save the world, but we can't save the world. We've got to just that. take the ones that are truly candidates for what we do. How do midwives handle this current climate? And number one is they have to stay well themselves. Um, and yeah. really, it sounds awful, but don't overburden yourself because you can't give good care if you take on too much. There's certain things that we can do to, you know, make those pathways a little bit easier for ourselves. And I think a really important thing is making sure that we've got a really good agreement in place with all the pathways and all the care providers so that there's good relationships there. So that, you know, in yeah. case of transfer, the path is smoother for everybody. Reach out to each other is yeah. massive. There are midwives you work with you trained with you met once you you were on a beautiful conference with you know maybe you just were passing ships but they're your community and um yeah. and I, I have just an epic community of midwives that um i've met along the way and yeah they're love just, it. and they're all over the world you know like I, I i i trust them like sisters and i there's very select crew of people around the world that know what you're experiencing. Thank you so much for listening. And I want to give a huge thank you to all the midwives around the world who talked to me in the midst of the chaos and disorder and frankly, fear that enveloped the world in the beginning of the pandemic. I learned so much from them. I hope that you did too. I'm so excited that we're catching up with most of them in the next episode of Worldwide Midwifery to hear their reports six months into the pandemic. As always, midwives, please take as good a care of yourself as you do of your families. And thanks so much for listening.